There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of Questions from the Audience. Today, in a first uh, for this particular podcast, and I would imagine it hasn't happened too many other times in podcasting history, uh, the studios are my bedroom. I'm actually in my bed. Uh, Reason being, uh, my wife has uh, some friends over, and uh, the house is where the basement where I will oftentimes record questions from the audience is uh, currently occupied. And uh, and I, I wanted to record the podcast. And so I thought, you know, I think the the most distant area from there is to go upstairs and go in the bedroom and I'm going to lie in bed and podcast. And so far, eh, not bad, actually. I'm lying down in the bed. Inevitably, uh, my wife probably my son will come into the bedroom and look at me uh, with uh, with confusion. Jameson will, will run in and jump in the bed, and I'll probably include some of it, and then Gangster Pete will probably add it out the other part. And Anna Marie will walk in and go, what are you doing? That is exactly what it is. I'll try to catch the audio when it happens, but that is my play. Parlay that if you would, or as producer Joe would do, put it in a sweetheart teaser. So it's questions from the audience from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. And um, I'm doing it on uh, uh, from my bed, uh, which I think is candidly very hot and where many of you would love to, to spend some time and let me disappoint you. But um, I, I, I enjoy it. And, and, you know, today is a beautiful day in St. Louis, um, but I'm, I'm tending to some things and I haven't left the house and I'm kind of like, okay, I got about an hour or two where I can do this or that. And I think I'd like to do questions from the audience and I can, because there are so many good questions that are already stored up. So you guys are really, uh, contributing to this thing. Got a, got a couple here without even, uh, before I even put the post on the TMA fan page here, just within the last couple of hours, um, Timmy Recaps, who's always a really good one, uh, and a couple of TMA-related questions. Just some good stuff in here. And I just like questions from the audience. It's a weekly tradition along with our interviews. Subscribe to the podcast if this is your first first time listening. It's random. Um, we have guests every Sunday slash Monday. Long-form interviews, 90-minute interviews. This week's guest, Jeremy Macklin. And it's one of those interviews where I know if you're a Missouri fan, you'll love it because he goes into great detail on his time there and some things that as a Missouri fan, when they got to number one in the country, I'd never heard before. Um, but also his health scare. I mean, he thought he had cancer for a number of months when he's like, what, two years into the NFL. Um, just a really uh, in-depth interview. And in texting with Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com and a, and a guest here on this podcast uh, and my cohort from journalism school 20 plus years ago, uh, Macklin hasn't done a whole lot of these. So that was uh, that was. I, I didn't really have a, a source to research as far as long-form interviews with him. Um, and so that's a that's a good one that even if you're not a Missouri fan, I think you'll enjoy. Uh, and then we have our pick six. And my understanding is, since I'm not in a wager this year with G-Unit and producer Joe, we, bet, we each bet $500 last year. I happened to win it. 
But uh, as I tell you when I talk about Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, I'm managing my money so differently, even it's only been a year, that I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to risk $500, even though it would be, you know, essentially like less than $100 a month for how many months we'd be doing the Pick 6 podcast, and then have to cut one of those guys a check, or I guess who the hell cuts a check, Venmo one of those motherfuckers, or just show up with five $100 bills, I just don't want to do it, it would tilt me, and it would tilt me much more than I'd enjoy the $1,000 that I would win, and I got to tell you something, since I'm not wagering, I'm not locked in on uh, on on what uh, what the weatherman has picked. I read what he picks, but I'm not paying attention because for me there isn't a competition. And the weatherman went one in five this past weekend, and uh, I think he went he went two and four the week before. Now he started off two and zero, oh, but the weatherman he's starting to feel some heat. So let me do some math on the fly here. Try to dazzle everybody. Four and four through the first two weeks. Five and nine through three weeks. Yeah. The one game that he sent, I'm glad he did because it was my reminder that Nick Saban has these games every September against some random team where they're like a 50-point favorite and he doesn't cover the spread. And this week it was New Mexico State, 55.5-point underdogs. And once again, yeah, Nebraska, uh, not Nebraska, it reminds me of Nebraska, Missouri. Alabama beat the hell out of them. But they didn't cover. It's I'm telling you, it's a September tradition, and um, God bless America. I'm glad that it exists. So anyway, questions from the audience. Your questions are always welcome. T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. It's part of the Tim McKernan Show podcast, and uh, and I've got a bunch already ready to go. Plus, on the TMA fan page, I would imagine there's some more, and uh, and we'll see uh, what those are. But like I said, there are a bunch in the email, and I'm hoping that I'm at a point now where I'm. Uh, getting getting to a point where I'm I'm making sure that I'm not doubling down, and uh, thinking that I've read one before. Uh, let's see. So this one I know I read last week, uh, and as as is tradition, I get asked about this. Now it's just becoming like a thing. It's like uh, Jimmy Kimmel with Matt Damon. I'm asked yet again about the Popeyes or Chick Fil A sandwich. I'll say it again. I haven't had it. I, considering like today, I feel like I have a little bit of free time, which is kind of random, um, especially with a two-year-old. I might try. I might drive down Manchester into, what is it, Brentwood, I guess, where the Popeyes is, and see if they have them available and, and figure out what's doing here. Um, so maybe next week when I'm asked about it yet again via email, uh, this time by Mr. Slave, good to hear from Mr. Slave, uh, that uh, that I'll have an answer. I I... I I got to tell you something. I don't know anybody who has had it, though. I feel like everybody's like, yeah, I want to try it, but they were out. So I'd like to hear the uh, the answer. All right. What else we got here is I yawn. I'm yawning because I'm doing the program from my bed. Uh, let's see here. I answered this one regarding Donnie Brooks. This is, this is how much prep goes into questions from the audience. All right. This gentleman sent this in a couple of times, and I want to make sure I answered. Hello. Hello. Not sure if this email was sent on time, but I have a question from the audience related to TMA. Um, number one, who is your favorite emailer slash texter of TMA now and your favorite of all time? It's a good question. Justin in Columbia comes to mind right away as an all-time great and also as a current one. Um, a texter for certain because 
one of the staples of the show, and if you don't get this, then you don't get the show, is that almost without exception, uh, I would say Brian Ray, who is now like this uh, rising star with the Dallas Stars organization um, as a broadcaster and studio host, um, was a producer for us for a brief time in 2013. And John Seymour, all of our producers have kind of been like, you know, part of the show as far as on-air personalities and, you know, taking shit 95% of the time, giving shit 5% of the time. Uh, and Justin in Columbia certainly delivers high-caliber jabs with his texts. As far as emailers go, oh, I mean, what Timmy Tom Tom currently and Carlos Spicy Wiener currently do with like recapping the show, it cracks us all up, including Iggy, because I think some people are like, I think that hurts Iggy's feelings, and maybe they should be, they should be kind. We're all in on it, and and listen. While there is obviously no preparation that goes into this podcast and uh, obviously no preparation that goes into TMA, we all have a rapport in which if somebody were to say something and not want it talked about on the air, um, it would absolutely not be talked about on the air. It's just the way that we work. Uh, And I don't necessarily think it's like a, a bold strategy, but just as an FYI, kind of a peek behind the curtain, that's the way... Uh, that it would work. So we're all laughing when these things come in. But the way these guys do this, it holds up a mirror to what we do and what we have done for those previous three hours. And it makes you go, God, this was really stupid. I can't believe this is what we do. Can't believe people are listening to it. And I think it kind of wraps a nice bow on it. And the way they're able to deliver it, I'm dead serious when I say, and, and the cat says this quite often as well, that we will read these things and think to ourselves, these people writing in are infinitely more talented than us. And I'm not saying that like, oh, what a way to give a cheap pop to the audience. Now, of course, that's not everybody. But like, you know, there have been a, there have been a number of them over the 15 years. Um, if I'm going back, there was a guy named Uncle Carl's double-sided fleshlight who was outstanding. Um, you know, way back when, I'm trying to go back to, to like bring up a name that would like would stand out. Matt who bowls at Hank's. Uh, fan page club championship uh, finalist. Uh, he he is in that category, uh, but still I can go back further than that. Uh, a guy named Damon uh, was outstanding way back when. So, uh, you know, recent ones, it'd be Timmy Tom Tom, DJ Gabe 911, Misty Plops. Just th- that, those two particular um, emailers, Uh, come up with out of thin air something that has absolutely nothing to do with the show and is and are able to produce like like a Saturday Night Live satire like a skit via writing on the fly and it's just it's brilliant so there are some off the top of my head Um, who is the longest running text or emailer into the show that you know of Justin and Columbia has got to be in play um curious if someone has been there since the start oh, a lot of beer cats beer cats has been there since the start a number of, of people have been there since the start i don't know if they're necessarily all emailers i don't know if we did the email i don't think we did i'd here's something for buck swope when did we start doing email of the day because i don't think we were doing email of the day in 2004 maybe we were but i don't think we were i remember when i started with 
I think it was in particular with Frank Cusimano. So maybe we were doing emails and then we did an email of the day just because I went right from working with Frank Cusimano to the morning grind. That because I read emails, people that didn't like me in the audience would say I was a ripoff of Jim Rome. Um, as I've come to learn over time, which it gets me into, I know another question that's coming today. Um, what I've found is when people just don't like the opinions or the sense of humor um, of your personality um, or the opinions you espouse, th- as opposed to saying, yeah, I don't like the way he talks on the radio or the way she talks on the radio. I, I disagree with that, and therefore I don't like listening to him or her. What they will say is he's bad or she is bad, and then they will... Uh, dismiss them by coming up with some form of a, a personal attack, really. I, I mean, it, it's, you know, they, they certainly are wide-ranging on the spectrum of being really hateful to, you know, kind of trivial. And in the case of this, this would be kind of trivial, but I was I was originally, the, the big criticism was I was a Jim Rome ripoff. Why? Because I was reading emails. And back in the day, I don't know if he still does it, I haven't listened to Jim Rome in a while, he would read emails, and that was a big part of the show. But to me, it was obvious you want to create new avenues for the audience to communicate with you. Um, so I was big on message boards, like in the late 90s, um, which was why we had one on InsideSTL.com when we started that in 2005. But emails were another way for people to call in because some people didn't have the time to sit on hold or they just didn't want to call in. They didn't want their voices heard and have to disguise them when they call into a radio show, which is why at this moment... Um, the texting is such a huge part of TMA, but perhaps something is going to, do, to be a new form for the audience to communicate in the near future. So um, the, the, the thing that stands out about the people who have emailed in and texted in, whether it be for a brief amount of time or for a long period of time with the show, is they get the spirit of the show, which is reindeer games. And if you want to play in the reindeer games then you also are going to be exposed to the reindeer games but if you don't want to participate you will not participate so uh, you will not be drug into them and they get it and they get that it's kind of like a roast every day Uh, so anytime I see somebody like oh that was that was mean regarding what you know one of us said to another one of us you know I assure you that in the room um, you know it's just everybody everybody gets it and and understands it, which I think is one of the reasons why it's popular, in particular with 20 and 30 and 40-something males, is because it reminds people of, you know, how they bullshit with their friends uh, and give each other trouble. So uh, that's what the emailers and the texters bring to the, uh, to the table. Thank you for the question, Tom. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh... Enjoying uh, the show and the interviews. I'm kind of late to the party with this take, uh, but I'll throw it at you anyway. The handshake at the end of each Stanley Cup round is legendary. The photo seen after the Dallas victory of the two St. Louis boys with the flag waving behind it is a Mount Rushmore picture. Even in golf, I've heard people say over the years, a handshake at the end of the round is a cherished moment. Um Setting the table for this question, is baseball the only sport where players don't congratulate each other with a handshake? Maybe it takes place in a tunnel or clubhouse. Thought maybe you'd have a take or insight. Thanks. That's from Grant. Super random question. Um, Apropos of nothing, but fuck, I mean, that's kind of what we've done with uh, TMA forever. And my God, 
You know, I was asked about, see if I can stay on point, since I have the email in front of me, it'll be difficult not to. But I was asked um, last week about the podcast and how I would describe it. I'm like, fuck, this is kind of like how I would describe TMA. I don't really have an answer. Now, I know we do long-form interviews because we have done long-form interviews since we started. I think we started on October 1st, 2017 was the very first day uh, with the Gary Pinkle 90-minute interview at his house. And then questions from the audience and then the pick six. And then the follow-up was, well, what, what do you talk about in questions from the audience? I'm like, God, anything. I mean, there isn't anything that we don't talk about. Anything. I mean, it's, it's from pornography to parenting. So I would imagine we're talking about two extremes there. Um, like as far as we can possibly go on the, you know, the, the ends of the spectrum, uh, politics, looks like we're having some alliteration here with pornography, parenting, politics, certainly sports lot. It seems like every week there's a TMA related question. Um, St. Louis politics, St. Louis civic issues, um, media. It's just, it, it's sex, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's whatever but that's that's the that's the kind of radio show i'd want to do which then will get me to i think a question that's coming yeah it is i see it's the next one uh regarding guests on tma which will then get into uh that part of it but the reason why i bring this up is now that i find myself getting back on track this is a question out of absolutely nowhere but i mean fuck what what questions aren't out of absolutely nowhere it's just kind of sports related and it's not really tying into anything but as you said uh, grant uh, you are maybe late to the party, but who cares? It's a fine question. Uh, handshakes at the end of the game. Now, in the NBA playoffs, an NBA regular season, but I know the question was about postseason, they do it. They do it at the end of a series. Um, but, I mean, obviously, the NHL, they do it at the end of the series. They don't do it after a game. In 2004, and I don't know why they did it, I think it was Larry Walker, a Canadian, as a tribute to hockey, um, when the Cardinals played the Dodgers, they beat them in four. Um, it looked like they were going to sweep them. And then Jose, Le- I was in L.A. for this at Dodger Stadium. Jose Lima liked to shut them down in, in game three. Uh, I don't know what the hell that was about. Uh, but then they came out and they won in game four, and that was it. And, you know, that great Cardinal team went to the NLCS, where they would later beat the Astros in seven and uh, and lose to the Red Sox in, in a sweep. But they, they, they shook hands with the Dodgers. And and I can I can picture it in the press box, uh, Dodger Stadium, looking down there, and people kind of going, "What's going on here?" I don't have an answer as to why it's not done. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in 2006, Tony Larusa went out of his way to tip his cap to his friend Jim Leland across the way. 2011, there was no cap tipping. I don't think it was a shot at Ron Washington. It's just he was so, Tony LaRusso was so excited. He, he knew that he had just seen his last out as a manager, and the Cardinals had won a World Series on his way out, so he got to go out like Elway and Jordan, at least the way most people remember Jordan, pre-Washington Wizards. So um, I don't I don't have an answer as to why it's not done. I don't know. It, it, I, I see no reason not to, but maybe if I asked, I don't know who I would ask around that would... Like, like if I picture him, like if I ask, if like if I texted Edmonds right now and asked him, he'd be like, "What, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you bothering me with this? Why are you asking me this?" Then I, that's that's so like somebody who's kind of like, like a Rick Hummel, maybe Rick Hummel would probably be the person. The chances of me remembering to do this are very slim, but I would ask him about that, and I would imagine he goes, oh, "I don't know. 
That's what I would imagine he'll say, but maybe there's a reason. But in 2004, I bet he'll say, yeah, but in 2004, the Cardinals and Dodgers did it. All right, which leads me into this next question. Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast. So make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Uh, in the next three, an email all came in today. Uh, hey, Tim, I'm listening to the Jeremy Macklin interview on TMA. And I'm really enjoying it. We happen to have Macklin on today in addition to the podcast. Totally separate interviews. Macklin talking about the the win over West Virginia and then college football and, and the NFL week one. Candidly, I didn't think I would. I'm not a Mizzou fan, but he spoke on much more than just Mizzou. The Mahomes perspective, Deshaun Jackson, callback in Philly, etc. You've spoken in the past about not liking to have guests on TMA. What made you or whomever decide to have Macklin on as a guest this morning? He's killed it for 20 minutes, and I will probably go listen to the podcast that I did not originally plan to listen to. So at this point on TMA, there are not many sports guests. Is there a certain criteria you are looking for from an individual to possess to invite them as a guest on TMA? And if yes, what is the criteria and who in the sports world today would fit that criteria? It's a great question because there was this thread on the TMA fan page um, that... Uh, where somebody was saying, um, and 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 I liked I, I liked I liked the line of questioning. I um, it allowed me to to explain, which this this question allows me to explain as well, just verbally. I just typed it out on the TMA fan page regarding guests on the show. Here is I there's there's nothing, but well, I shouldn't say, with the exception of laughing my ass off on TMA, which happens daily. Um, I. The only thing I enjoy uh, in that same stratosphere in, in, in this business is doing an interview. Um, I love it. I don't know why I love it. Um, I guess it, go, it goes back. I, I picture, um, I, I, I mean, here's, here's an anecdote. True story, by the way, uh, as Big Al would say, TMA reference. Um I'm doing, I think I was, as they called it, stringing for KFNS in 97 or 8. I think it was 98. So I'm 20, either 20, 21, 22, in that range. Norm Stewart's the head coach at Missouri. And there was a game, some of you Missouri fans will remember this, where Keon Dooling was at the end of the bench, and and he was crying at the end of the bench. Something had gone on with him and Norm. And uh, he was beside himself crying. And they were having an argument. And so I think it was like a Saturday or Sunday in in Boulder. They were playing Colorado. So I'm pretty sure of this, but somebody may be so inclined to look it up. It's really irrelevant to the story. So then there would be these things on Mondays, which were a big deal in Columbia. You know, I mean, all you have in Columbia sports-wise when it really gets down to it is the University of Missouri football and, and basketball. And Norm Stewart ran things, you know, I mean, as you can imagine, at that time. And it was, big, it was a big deal for me to even see the man, much less get to a point where I was going to interview him. And so each TV station, you know, you're talking about Columbia TV stations, would get a chance to have like, I don't know, five to maybe ten minutes with Norm. 
And then he'd go to the next TV station and they'd have lunch for us and it was a thing, you know, whatever. Lunch with Norm or Mondays with Norm. And then he came to me, even though this wasn't television, I was doing interviews for KFNS, stringing for KFNS. And um, he sits down with me and I remember watching the TV interviews and nobody asked him about, to me, what was the obvious question. I couldn't believe that that nobody was asking about it. It's what people wanted to hear the answer to, which was what happened on Saturday in Boulder where Keon Dooling, star player, was crying at the end of the bench. What the hell was going on? And uh, and so he gets to me, and I, I was really like in awe. I was like, what the, you know. And he gets to me, and he sits down. Now this is just radio. And, you know, it's, it's 1997 or 8, and so it's not like people are holding up phones um, to take video. You know, it's just me and Norm, like like two folding chairs at the Hearn Center. And, you know, I, I, I imagine my tact was lacking. Uh, that's certainly something you learn over time uh, is how to get into the difficult questions. So who knows? I might have just come right out of the gate and said, you know, coach, what happened? And so he, knowing that it's not on television and also probably knowing that he can outplay the hell out of me. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame basketball coach and I'm some dipshit who's, you know, just starting out in the journalism school. You know, he knows what he can do. So I said, Coach, what happened on uh, Saturday with, with Keon? And he looks at me and goes, nothing happened. And since it was just radio, he just stared at me with a smirk like, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to say nothing happened. What are you going to, and I recall absolutely at that point, I may have pissed myself and I'm not exaggerating. And I said, but on TV, you could see that he was crying on the end of the bench. So something had to have happened. What happened? He goes, nothing happened. And and he didn't say anything, which is a brilliant play because then there's this dead air and then it puts the action right back on me. And he knows he's not sitting down with Bob Costas. And and who knows? I'd love to find the audio of that. Ooh, wow, would that be chilling as far as uh, embarrassment goes? Um, but I think okay, so Nebraska coming to town? You know, I mean, who knows? It was just it had to be hideous. But that to me, I don't, I don't, I can't picture like the kind of interviews that I now do, where they're like people come in or over the phone, but more often than not in person, and we'll go into what is essentially a conversation. I have a few things I know I want to discuss and they might be like, like, I mean, I'm talking like maybe five like bullet point type lines. Um, but I don't have questions written out. I, that'd be to me. That's, that's, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, I, cause I'm sure plenty of people do that and I'm not like trying to look down on it. Um, but for this style of show, that's not what I'm doing. It's a conversation. Now, if I'm covering something and I'm going to get, you know, five questions with Mike Schilt, for example, it's him back doing TV, you know, and it's just got to be quick hitters on, you know, things that are going to be 15 second sound bites. It's a different approach. And maybe, you know, I don't know if you'd write out your question, but you want to remind yourself of the things you want to ask. These things are conversations and they go wherever. And as I always say, the, the, my next question comes from their last answer. And I can recall in Little Rock, um, going to SEC media days and 
which at the time I'm just like, I don't even know anything. But I mean, the SEC, like who, like I, you know, which is amazing to think that way. I think it also shows the way college football's grown, specifically around here, but certainly um, over the last 20 years, because this was 1999, and how the charge I was given, and I had just started. I mean, I couldn't even have been there a month. And it's my first job. And uh, they had fired our sports director, which I guess was all in the plan. They'll bring me in then as the number three guy. They'll whack him, and then uh, then they'll have two people in the sports department looking back. That stuff was obvious uh, and save money, and they, I guess they didn't like him anyway. And so now I'm 22, and I'm at SEC Media Days, and I'm just like, I'm going to Birmingham. That'll be cool. I remember I had to fly through St. Louis to get to Birmingham. So I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I get to come back home for, you know, albeit like an hour at Lambert. And at that time, pre-September 11th, my parents could come inside the the terminal without having to be on the outside waiting for you to leave and uh, get through security. And I remember meeting with them. And it was just kind of a weird thing, you know, because I'd only been gone a few weeks. But it was like weird to come back home but not really be in my home anymore. And then flew down to Birmingham. And the charge was get Houston nut who you may now see on SEC coverage, who was the head coach of Arkansas then, Clint Sterner, for you big-time college football fans, you may remember his fumble against Tennessee when Arkansas was a couple minutes away from winning in Knoxville, which would have made Arkansas undefeated in playing for the national championship. Instead, they lost that game because he fumbled, and then Tennessee wound up winning a national championship with T. Martin, Rondo's guy. And... uh, Anthony Lucas, who was a first-round wide receiver pick for the Packers but did not pan out in the NFL, was a great college receiver. And then Lou Holtz, who I knew, I'm heading to Notre Dame this week as a matter of fact, uh, as as a Notre Dame kid, so to speak, son of a huge Notre Dame Subway alum and my dad and and a mom who went to school in South Bend, albeit at St. Mary's because it wasn't co-ed at the time, which was the girls' school and I guess is all, all girls still across, uh, like literally across, I guess it's not a street, it's a road, uh, in South Bend. And that's what I knew him as. I had no idea that he had coached at Arkansas. And so he was in his first year at South Carolina. So those, that's what I was told to do, get, but get sit-down interviews with them. And I guess it was quote-unquote easy to get interviews with Houston Nutt, Clint Sterner, and Anthony Lucas because Arkansas, the University of Arkansas Media Relations set those up. But with Lou Holtz, you know, he's walking out. It's in this, uh, I guess, hotel or convention center in Birmingham. I think it's in the same place now as it was then. Um, and he's got, you know, I mean, the, the college sports, the, the, the revenue-producing college sports, they have henchmen, man. They really do. It's like trying to get to, to Dr. Dre, you know? I mean, you, you can't get past Suge Knight. And... Uh, and so Lou Holtz is walking out, and he's got like four or five guys, and they're wearing the South Carolina sport coats. And I'm like, hey, coach, uh, do you have a few minutes? He just kind of looks, no, no, no. And he keeps walking. Now, this is the stuff that I, would, I wouldn't even have done at 27, much less now 42, that I did at 22. And some of you go, oh, it's a shame you lost that. I don't know. I think it's a lack of self-awareness. But I'm like, I just started this job. I got to deliver. They asked me to get Lou Holtz. I got to get Lou Holtz. And so I just, I keep following him. I keep bugging him. And it's just me and my photographer. My photographer's probably right around my age, maybe a couple years older. And I'm following him down this hallway with these henchmen. And i dead serious. And this is the truth. Maybe I should post this picture. At my parents' house, there is, a, a, like on the shelves, back in the day at that time, because you didn't have flat screens, uh, 
on top of like the TV, there was a picture that my mom had gotten autographed for Lou Holtz for my dad's 40th birthday. So that would have been 87. Um, and Notre Dame would win the national championship the next year autographed directly to my dad. Now, who knows whether or not Lou Holtz really signed it. I don't know if he had a Stan Musial thing where he would really come in and sign or if they just had people sign it from Who knows? But either way, the thing is still in my parents' living room. Here comes Jameson. Here comes Jameson into the bedroom. Story time will be interrupted because Jameson is here. Hi, Jameson. Can you say hello? Hello. There he is. <laughs> Your dad is doing a show right now. He- show right now exactly do you want to come up here and do the show with me me. all right come on in here he is jameson mckernan he is two years old would you like to say anything to anybody hello hello all right there he is that's my buddy jameson he is two how old are you jameson thank you very much all right i'm gonna keep doing the show you gonna head on out that is mama's that's right that's exactly right would you be so kind as to go down and see Mama so I can keep doing the show and close the door behind you, if you please, sir? He's doing really well on the show. Here's Anna Marie. She just said, oh, my God. It's okay. Uh, uh, there it is. Jameson saying, see data. There it is. I knew it would happen. Anna Marie actually was not as stunned by me lying in the bed doing a podcast. I think that speaks more to her comfort level with my Bat shittery. I digress. Back to the Lou Holt story. So we have this thing my parents do on top of the TV uh, with candles on either side of it. Like it's like a Buddhist monk situation here uh, with the autographed picture in a frame. And for whatever reason, as if he's going to like be like, oh, I say, coach, my parents have a picture of you with two candles around it on top of their television and if anything, now, like, if somebody would say that to, they probably wouldn't say it to me, but, like, if they were to say it to, you know, I know there are some people who are really big into TMA, and it's flattering, don't get me wrong, but if they would say that to me, I'd be like, wow, that's not flattering, that's fucking weird, you know? Um, now, he's Lou Holtz, and he had won national championships, I'm not trying to draw a parallel, but in my, and the reason I say it is, he had to, he, I'm saying it to think, like, to, to impress him, he had to think, Oh wow! This 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 kid's this. There's something wrong with him. This is this is like a, a special situation for the the television station that they're they're letting the creep boy down to cover media days, you know. But I I really got to get away from the creep boy. But I'm I'm relentless, and I think I said I don't know what I don't know what the tie-in was to my grandmother. I really don't. My as in my dad's mom. Um, I have no idea what it was. I think she was turning 90 in a week or two, but I don't th- I don't recall her being as big, a big Notre Dame fan, even though her, her maiden name was Kennedy, and, and obviously her last name, uh, her married name is McKernan, so there was a lot of Irish going on there. But um, I know I said something about my grandma, too. I mean, I mean I'm pulling out everything. I got to pull out in order to get this done. And, he, and then finally he goes, okay, where are you set up? And I'm like, all right. And then I'm kind of like, yeah, I knew he would do it. I, in, my, in my mind, in my 22-year-old mind, I knew he would do it. But I look back on it now and I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? So he sits down and in his mind, I'm sure he's thinking this is going to be a quick hit. I mean, again, I look back on the stuff. These happen during questions from the audience where 
it'll I'll, I'll, like something will hit me and it'll like be like God, I was really and probably still am so fucked up. Um, but he's thinking that my cameraman is going to grab his camera. I'm going to have a little stick microphone and we're going to go back and forth and we're going to do our thing and then we're going to be and we're going to be done. Um, but instead I lead him to this set that, that we had built and I, I, I'm the use of the word set is, is overstating it, but he had set up and he did a hell of a job. I do remember this stuff and I, there, there is an appreciation, um, in, in, inside of television for photographers who can, you know, light and set up it cause it does, it does make a difference. And he'd put all, he was going to, so he had the lighting, uh, and it was in like a hallway of the hotel, uh, and a lavalier mic, so a mic that, you know, would put on Coach Holtz's, uh, you know, lapel. And, 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 and then we're sitting down. And he had to be like, okay, I thought I was going to do like a quick two-question thing with this, you know, creep boy. And now all of a sudden I'm doing up close with Roy Firestone. What the fuck happened? And I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, I guess his answers weren't necessarily as uh, elaborate as I might have thought they would be. Lacking self-awareness, of course. But he did it. And then back at the TV station, when we send this stuff back, they're like, how in the hell did you get Lou Holtz to sit down? And it looks like, it, you know, you guys were setting like on a, you know, Hollywood set because my photographer had lit it so well. And then we did the same thing with Houston Nutt, Clint Sterner and Anthony Lucas and a, and a linebacker or safety, Kenoy Kennedy, um, who wound up playing with the Lions. He was a first or second round draft pick. Uh, and. And I'm just like, well, that's what we're going to do. In my mind, I'm like, of course, that's that's what we're going to do. And then the interviews were not like the now. I mean, media day interviews are like these quick hit, you know, they're at the podium or they're the quick hit with like a bunch of people sitting around. This was um, these were, you know, I mean, they weren't like 20 minute interviews. But I remember I remember kind of the look on Houston Nuts face. Just like, what are you doing? You know, but I but I didn't pick it up at the time, but I can look back on it now. I recognize it, even though it's been 20 years. Like, oh, God, I was I was just, it was just totally just absolutely unaware, which in a way is great at that time. Now it'd be like, OK, what in the hell is this? You know, keep me away from him. But I loved it. And and, and, and that's somebody who I mean, I hadn't watched. Ar- I don't think I've ever watched at that time. I'd ever watched Arkansas play a football game. I didn't know who who. who who Houston Nutt was. I didn't know anything about the Clint Sterner fumble. You know, I'm a Missouri guy going down there and and having also no appreciation for how big of a deal the SEC in college football is there. I remember seeing this another thing, but I really thought about doing it. I remember kicking myself for not doing it. I mean, holy shit. This is a name all of you will recognize. Uh, Phil Fulmer. Phil Fulmer, I mean, God, I was really going to do this, and I remember kicking myself for not doing it. What in the hell? Oh, this is flashbacks. Um, Phil Fulmer and Houston Nutt are like in like kind of like a lounge area, but there were a bunch of people around, so it wasn't like a private lounge area. Phil Fulmer was the coach of Tennessee when they won the national championship. I think he's now back to being the athletic director. He might be busy this year with another coaching search based on the Volunteers' own two start. And... Um, and uh, if he is the athletic director, I have no idea. But either way, I knew he was the head coach of the team that had just won the national championship. And the game, as I was learning about, that was the game in the SEC was the Clint Sterner fumble game, Arkansas at Knoxville. Um, you know, in the year before, he had Peyton Manning. The year they won the national championship was T. Martin. I remember seeing T. Martin at the media days. And uh, and I think he's the offensive coordinator at Tennessee now. And and I was going to go up to Houston Nutt and Phil Fulmer and just like get right in between them as they're talking and start and doing interview with both of them. 
Like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like, can you imagine, like, like the, the parallel now would be if I were to go up to, you know, if I see at SEC Media Days, Nick Saban, now I realize Saban's in a different class than Phil Fulmer, but I mean, he's, you know, Phil Fulmer was coming off winning a national championship, and he had Peyton Manning um, the previous year. Phil Fulmer, Nick Saban, and I don't know, Kirby Smart, Georgia, and I realize Kirby Smart doesn't have the cachet yet, I have a feeling he's going to in college football, um, and just walking up between them and like start and just just bust out do an interview, and I was thinking about doing. I remember look. I can picture where they were. I can picture the light, uh, and then how I remember telling my photographer Trent, the friendly photographer, as I called him, like man, I really messed up there by not going up to 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 Houston Nut and Phil Fulmer and, and just interviewing him right there, which is just like fucking crazy. Okay, so the question was about guests on TMA, and as, as usual, I wander, but we attempt to return to the destination. My point being, I, for whatever reason, and I don't know where this comes from, because it, it was not taught at the journalism school, and it's not, I, I am just legitimately curious. I'm legitimately curious, and I've heard Stern, when asked about interviews, that that is something that he, he is legitimately curious and so the, the, you ask questions because you're legitimately curious. And I guess I'm able to ask questions in the podcast format, but also when I was at KMOV and we would get these great interviews and we had an hour long show and I was able to run, they wanted to fill the time. So they would give me like seven or eight minutes, which seems like nothing for a podcast, but for TV, it was an eternity to have a seven straight minute interview. Uh, and I would always push for more time. Um, and, uh, I, I, I would love doing the long form interviews and, and I guess I'm able to ask the questions in a way that for the most part doesn't piss the person off, but I'm able to ask the questions. I think that the majority of the audience wants to hear the answers to also, um, and I just happen to be, I actually have, I, I actually still have it up in my tabs here, um, on my, uh, my laptop that's sitting in bed with me. Um, that, uh, Joe Rogan, I was reading an article about Joe Rogan from the Atlantic. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an article that's not like fresh off the the press. It's from August 19th, but, um, how some people, his critics are mad that he does not challenge his guests on, um, on certain things. And, and I, when we had, and we still will have politicians in on, on this show, I remember one of the things that it initially, when this podcast first came out, bothered some people. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm overstating it by making it sound like it was a large amount of feedback. But, you know, we'd have politicians on and they felt like I didn't challenge them. And I explained that my approach to interviewing it sounds similar to what Rogan's approach to interviewing and certainly what Stern's approach to interviewing is. I'm going to ask the questions, but it's not going to be like with, with regard to politicians right now. We are so trained, if you're watching, take your pick of whatever show, that the interviewer, it really, it gotcha, takes you back to Palin, which is the last thing I ever want to do. But uh, it's like, they're going to say something. It's like, yeah, but what about this? You know, um, this morning I happened to have on, boy, I really need to find something on television before I go in to do TMA. Um, can't recall... Um, the name of the, the lady doing the interview on CNN, 
but they had Anthony Scaramuccian, who's who's gone from you know like a punchline to now a lot of media outlets are putting him on, um, and you can you can do the algebra on how that's all come to pass. But uh, she she you know said something along the you know you're saying all this stuff now, but I mean just a couple weeks ago you were saying how you wouldn't betray him and how he's you know what happened, and then he's like, well, what are you doing here, you know? But I think I think I thought it was a good question. I, and if I were interviewing Scaramucci, I'd ask the same question. Like, what all of a sudden changed? You know, I mean, why, how'd you find religion, so to speak? Uh, why did you find religion? Um, that That's different than, you know, somebody says something, like, okay, yeah, but in 2003, you said this, or, you know, you're part of this, you know, caucus that, that feels this. To me, that's, that gotcha isn't fair, but it's like, it's, it becomes almost like a deposition. That's not my style of interview. So the question was interviews on TMA. Uh, here is my reasoning. The interviews on TMA, um, because it's a, essentially a three-host um, interview, I mean, even though that we have six people on the show, the three hosts would be doing the interview, there's not a flow. And, I mean, I, I guess it could get to a point, I, it might have to be like the the day, if, if TMA is still going, when Doug is no longer on the show and when the cat is no longer on the show, and this is all operating on the premise that I will still be on the show and I would be the one who would still be around. But, I mean, I look at Doug and the cat, I, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, I, I don't feel like it's the right thing for me to do because I feel like I'm not the host and they're my co-hosts, uh, that we're all co-hosts, for me to take the interview. Um, so if, now if, if somebody says, Hey, I'd really like to do this interview, which is not really in the personality of any of the three of us for the radio show. Um, I think the only way that would happen is if somebody really had a rapport with somebody and that person like really only felt comfortable or wanted to be interviewed by take your pick, Doug, the cat, myself, whatever. I remember we had Kevin Demoff on when Edmonds and I did the show and TJ Moe, I think was a part of it at that time too. And I said, boys on this one. I got to be the one to do to handle it. And they're just like, fine, fine by us. And because I knew I had a, you know, line of questioning I wanted to stick to and I didn't want it to get off track. I didn't want to let them off, you know, take it in direction when he knew one of the lighter questions would come that he could, you know, knock it off track. I have, I have a plan and I'm not going to steer from the plan for that particular interview. So what winds up happening with interviews on the radio when you have multiple hosts is I'm, you know, you know, we had Jeremy Macklin on today, for example, and it was, I thought it was a good interview. Um, obviously I'm talking about it because that was the start of the question, but I, you know, did this show 10 hours earlier. Uh, and you know, it's, 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 it's more like a press conference then it's not an interview. So Jeremy answers my question about, you know, Missouri and what they did on Saturday against West Virginia that they didn't do against Wyoming. And he gave a great answer. Then Doug comes in, you know, is it tough to to bounce back after a disappointing season, you know, which isn't the, or after the season opener. And, you know, that probably would, if it were just me and Jeremy, I don't know if that would have been my question. And then, you know, then I, you know, we, I wind up talking about Patrick Mahomes and, you know, he had a little time with him in Kansas city at OTAs after he was drafted. Uh, I can't remember what the cat asked, but I mean, it's just, it, it, it's like a, a potpourri. And I guess people might be used to that in, in radio in St. Louis and in general, it's not a St. Louis specific thing. But to me, a good interview is a conversation. I don't need like, I mean, like the thing where writers come on and just like get peppered with questions. I mean, very rarely 
at this point, unless it can be a conversation, like I love when Derek Gould is on, and people go, well, how come Derek's not on? Well, the station uh, cuts some expenses. You know, and then sometimes people get mad at me about it. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I mean, I, it's, the, the station has to run a business. You can get mad about it. I don't know what, but I mean, it's a business. If you were running a business and, and you needed to cut expenses, you got to cut expenses. People get mad at you, but I mean, you got to run a business. Um, but Derek, I would love having those conversations because I felt like that would, that would go beyond, you know, X's and O's, so to speak. Um, X's and O's to me is just kind of boring radio. It's not, I mean, listen, I know some people like it, but fuck it bores the shit out of me and that's not how we've built this thing and how we've lasted this long so that's why i don't like the interviews on tma and we are and and also i have a rooted in probably going back to the 1990s objection to the way sports talk radio and i don't necessarily consider us to be sports or whatever i don't we can put a label on our show however one would want to put a label on our show um but uh um what i would say is uh, you know, in in, in, in in sports talk growing up, it was like the hosts, all the hosts were doing when I was listening, all they would do is interview people. And I'm like, God, this is the worst. Like, okay, the Cardinals are playing the Pirates tonight, so that means there's going to be a beat writer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette on. Okay, and the Rams are playing, you know, whatever, the Seahawks. There's going to be a writer from Seattle next. And it was just horrible radio I mean to me it was horrible I don't know maybe some people would like to bring that back but for me I thought it was just terrible and I'm just like we're getting paid to host the show so what are we going to do bring somebody on to to give the same observations that we would get I just don't get you know I just don't get it and I think it's kind of like dogmatic in a way uh, of the way people experience other sports talk radio coming up and that we don't do guests and like well how can this I don't know you know do other sports talk radio shows you know, do text like we do and read the weird shit that we do. I, you know, I, so we'll just do our own thing. It is, but here's the thing. And this is the discussion I had on the fan page earlier. We're not going to talk about things just for the sake of talking about them. And I think if anything, it might be like one of the, like the secrets of the success of the show. Uh, And if anything, it's also a credit to the way that the show has been allowed to I don't even know what the right broadcast, I guess, to be. We don't have to check off boxes. It's not like I'm like, okay, oh shit, it's 7.15, we're 10 minutes into the show, and I haven't talked about Missouri, West Virginia yet. We'll get to it. And if it gains traction, we might wind up talking about it for two hours. If we all don't, just kind of like, yeah, shit, had no idea how bad West Virginia was. Well, Missouri plays Southeast. Sucks they lost to Wyoming. God, I hope the South Carolina game is not an 11 o'clock game. Uniforms look stupid. Anything else? You know, and there's nothing there. But if there's something there, and it's like, you know, they beat West Virginia 38-7, to but that doesn't change the fact that Barry Odom opened up the season losing to Wyoming, and that's a real problem. You know, and then there becomes a discussion. If one of us is engaged in a topic, all it takes is one, ideally at least two, but as long as one is engaged in a topic, and whatever that topic is, then it's good to go. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. I don't care. Some people like, you know, you and the porn or Doug and Trump or, you know, whatever thing that somebody doesn't like or Iggy and the Fan Page Club Championship. As long as one of the people on the show is engaged, from my standpoint, green light. Um, now, of course, I'm, I'm not making absolutes. There would be exceptions. Things that might get the show into trouble would be one of those things. But that's that's it. And if we're not... In, I, so the reality is, somebody was saying, how come you don't have Cardinal guests on? Well, I said, you know, I'm saying, well, part of it is there, there were cutbacks, but then secondly... 
you know, the reality is at this point, the vast majority of us are not interested in like really getting into breaking down a regular season baseball game. It's not where we are anymore. Now, maybe we were 10 years ago. I don't know. I don't know. It's not where we are. And it bores us. For lack of a better term, you go. Well, hold on a second. You're on a sports station. I don't. I don't know. Whatever. Fine. Get. I get mad. I guess. But you know, our job is to to bring in an audience and to deliver that audience to our advertisers. And the greater the audience, and the more engaged the audience is, the higher probability is that they engage with the advertisers. And that's the business. As harsh as that might sound, it shouldn't sound harsh. It should sound pretty fucking obvious. But so therefore, the best content is going to grow the audience. And I have learned over the years, something that should have been obvious from the beginning, but now from a bunch of years of experience, that if we're engaged, it's going to be good content. Now, some people might not like it, but it's going to be energetic content. I can recall, and I, man, I'm lucky that I, well, that's another flashback. When I first started doing radio, and there are these things, and anybody who's done radio knows exactly what I'm talking about where you and your co-host or your co-hosts are just filling time just filling time it's the most vapid surface level discussion and you're just filling time and it's like oh shit he's passing the ball back to me and he just said nothing and oh fuck now I'm gonna say nothing oh god how are we gonna get to a commercial break and fill this and you know it's the and we just never have that with TMA. I mean, it's just there's always something, always something we can go to, to to redirect, always. And I'm so lucky because if that's what if that's what this was, I wouldn't be doing this shit. I did, I'd be like, All right, you know, I mean, it's just not. I wouldn't be doing it, not necessarily even out of choice. They'd get rid of my ass because nobody'd be listening to it. Um, it's just it's bad content. It's boring. So. What I learned from the guests over the time, I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. And if anything, it's going to, we got somebody coming up at 8, 8, 10, and it's going to bring the show to a screeching halt. So, you know, and, and, the, and the good thing is, for those of you who really want to hear that, um, you know, what the, there are other outlets for it in St. Louis. It's not limited to 101, but at that time, when we're on, Bernie's on, and he's a serious sports show. That's the format at 101, and God bless them. It's not like I go, they shouldn't do that. I don't fucking care. It doesn't matter to me. I, it's it, good for them. Looks like it's going well, from all I can tell. I don't know. It's not my thing. I don't listen. So I don't know. But I don't get mad that they don't do what we do. I don't really give a shit. You know, Bernie can't do what we do, and I can't do what Bernie does. So I, you know, and, and I don't think Bernie really wants to do what we do, and I don't want to do what he does. So I don't think anything of it. If anything, I'm glad that it's there because it allows that angry, you know, element that seems to me to have gone away um, as far as like calling in and bitching now because there's so many different options. Uh, it can okay. The fuck these guys are talking about, you know, a golf tournament in Normandy. I want to hear about, you know, the Cardinals, and so you know you you have that, and that's good to me. That's I think it's good that people have those options. So that's the thought process on guests. Now on the podcast, I can't get enough of it. On the radio show, it, now if I'm hosting the show by myself, it's a rare day where that would happen. But if I am, I'm all for it. Or if Doug were hosting the show by himself, I don't know if he would feel this way. I think he would. That that he knows he, it can be a line of question. I guarantee you, you would enjoy the interview more. So you guys might go, well, then why don't you just do the interview by yourself or have Doug do the interview or the cat do the So that way there's a flow. And I don't know. Maybe that is a solution. Maybe that is a solution. 
Um, but the guest also has to be interesting. And, and it has to be a conversation. The press conference style shit's just bad radio, man. It's To, to, to me, and that's of course subjective, to me it's bad radio. And I get bored. And I just tune out. Even on topics I'm interested in. Because it's not a flowing conversation. It's a press conference. It's fucking boring. So that's that's where I'm coming from on it. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor. But then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, this is a first-class person who has your best interest at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. Uh, all right, I got. I haven't even gotten through. Let's see what we got here. Uh, like Timmy recaps, man, I'm telling you, he brings it every week. Purely anecdotal, but we t- just took a trip to New York City last week. We were on a train at 12.45 a.m. from Flushing back to our hotel in Midtown Manhattan across from Penn Station. We got off at our stop and decided to walk a couple blocks to, to take in the city and try a late-night pizza spot. We never felt unsafe. I distinctly remember thinking I'd never take the Metrolink or walk the streets of downtown St. Louis at this hour in 2019. So my question is, do you feel safe or do you feel, feel, he emphasized in caps with asterisks, uh, St. Louis is safe. Allow me to qualify one thing. Take the geographic implication of St. Louis however you choose to take it. If you want to dissect the numbers, statistics, and lines on the map, I'm fully aware the narrative can be spun to make a valid case for both the affirmative and negative side of this question. But I'm most interested in the feeling. Before we moved, I found myself passing on tickets to evening events and games because it wasn't worth the worry. I've heard many people fight back against this notion by saying you're choosing to live in fear. I see it as a calculated and measured decision to take preventative measures. Maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe it's an irrational feeling based on a false perception, but oftentimes perception is reality. I love St. Louis to my core, but my general feeling is that St. Louis is unsafe. This has been a rather provocative and contentious topic on the TMA fan page as of late, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks. That's from Tim. Um, where I live, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm just, I'm just telling you how I feel. Um, where I live and where I grew up, by the way, for those who don't know, oh, it's a county thing because I know that can be a thing with people. I live in the county. I live in Kirkwood. I'm in my bed in Kirkwood uh, as we speak. Uh, I don't ever think twice about it. Don't ever think twice about it. In South City, where I grew up, where I was this weekend, um, I don't really think about it. Um, although I would say that it is noticeable to me that the businesses um, around the neighborhood I grew up in and where my parents still live seems like they've changed. I would imagine, and I bet there's some people who like who I think would be fans of me because I'm from the neighborhood who would be unhappy to hear me say this. Or they might be like, yeah, good for you for saying it because it's obvious it has. Um, but yet the neighborhood remains like in this bubble of, you know, 
like my wife who grew up in Chesterfield, she's just like, it's like sometimes it's like taking a trip back to the 1950s. And, and I'm like, I mean, what do we know about the 1950s? But yeah, I mean, you know, we went to the St. Joan of Arc school picnic this past weekend just because our son loves school picnics and rides. And she's like, it really is. It's almost like a time warp. Um, and I guess, I don't know, maybe that maybe in some capacity, it's one of the things that people love about it. Like my, and my dad always says, it's a neighborhood. You don't have neighborhoods in the county. And as far as I know, I would imagine there have to be plenty of neighborhoods in the county. But his point is he loves it. That's what he grew up. He grew up on Thalosan and then Bishop's Place. And now uh, then we were on Vienna and now Tam Avenue. Um, and, uh, you know, that's they're all city residences. They're all streets and they're all neighborhoods. And that's what I, you know, and so Anna Marie, which might, might speak to, you know, something that because I recognize that God, I mean, what ninety percent of the people listening to this did not grow up in the city or ever live in the city. Um, you know, when we were at St. Joan of Arc picnic, we're leaving. She goes, "God, are you surprised you didn't see anybody you know?" And I go, "Well, no, I didn't go to school here." And she goes, "Yeah, but it's like a, you know, like a mile away from where you grew up." And I said, "Yeah, but I didn't go to school here." And she's like, but what does that matter? And I go, well, I guess now that you mention it, it, I guess it's all kind of divided by neighborhoods or parishes, which is kind of seemingly sound, sounds kind of like, you know, New York City, like in the 50s, you know, uh, or New Orleans now when you talk parishes. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, you know, and, and, and at the time, and I don't know if it changed, but, you know, our teams on St. Gabriel's, they were competitive. St. Joan of Arc, not, no disrespect if anybody's really unhappy about the class of 1990s performance in, in South City Athletics. So we didn't really get to know them, you know, and uh, so I don't know, I don't really know anybody uh, there, um, but that was, you know, that was just a school picnic and it was in South City and so we spent the, the day there with our son. So I don't, I don't, I don't feel unsafe there. I think the core would be for people who, come downtown um for for a blues game a concert a cardinal game and what they feel now for me i oh i said i remember saying this on the radio in 2002 um and i remember obviously saying it on the radio because i lived there from 2009 through 2012 the whole thing about downtown being unsafe in my mind was a well, it was rooted in, in, in bigotry, actually, to be real blunt. How many times have I said that here on this podcast? Because I really believe you can trace so much of it back to that. Uh, now, I want to make this clear, though. This was when I was working and walking, you know, at night as a 23-year-old to and from my car a few blocks away. So KMOV is still, like, right across, like, not like, it is right across from the arch, just to the west of the arch on Memorial Drive, and... Uh, we would have to park, wonderful arrangement, local TV already showing its prowess at an early age, you know, like, shit, I think it was like two or three blocks south of Bush Stadium, so it was a decent walk, and I never thought anything of it, you know why I never thought anything of it, and a lot of times I was doing it at night, because there was, there was nobody around, it was a ghost town, and then I'd be like, well, are you ever worried about crime? I'm like, fuck, if I, unless I get hit by a tumbleweed, I'm going to be fine. There's nothing around. There's nothing going on. Then we moved to Washington Avenue uh, in 2009 and lived there through 2011 and then Park Pacific for a year to 2012. And it, it just, it never, and, and by the way, 
we heard gunshots. We actually, I don't, we didn't see somebody get shot, but we heard gunshots. It was over at the Larry Rice's uh, homeless shelter, which our place, you know, overlooked um, when we lived on Washington. And I remember seeing people screaming and running to the person. The person I don't think was killed, but they were laying down. They had been shot. And I don't know. I don't, for whatever reason, for me, for me and my wife, who grew up in Chesterfield, it just, it just kind of, it was just kind of the deal. And people are like, but what about all the panhandling? And I just be like, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, have you been to other cities? It's, it's kind of the, the way that it is. Now, the question is, has it changed since then? Has the perception changed? I don't know. Candidly, I'm not down there damn near ever for real. I mean, I haven't been to a Cardinal game, I think, since 2016. Uh, I'm virtually certain of, of, of it, it, it. I certainly haven't been to one this year, uh, and I didn't go in 2018. I don't think we went in 2017. I just, I don't know. I don't go. And some people, hold on a second. How can you be? I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, it doesn't do it for me. Um, it has nothing to do with, oh my God, I'm going to get robbed. Um, gone to Blues games, certainly gone to Blues games. Um, playoff games, went to uh, what the game they clinched against the Sharks and game six against the Bruins. Um, and that didn't, it didn't cross my mind, but I guess, you know, when we went to the, the, the Sharks game, we parked in the garage and it, I was with a bunch of people for the, uh, the game six of the Bruins, so you know, but I mean, it just, it just, to me, it doesn't, it, it doesn't for me, cross my mind, and I've always thought that it was, um, again, but I, I think that I think it might be different now for people. I think there might be people who were in my camp, so to speak, in the early part of the millennium, who might not feel that way now, but for me. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that way now. I I was talking to a friend. I probably shouldn't say where he is now. Um, because those who would really want to dig into it could figure out who I was talking to. But this person said, you know, we're just bullshitting. And, and he said, I got to tell you, the, the crime thing is real. He goes, because it never even crosses my mind now. Never even crosses my mind. I don't even think twice about it. And he goes, and that's just not the way that it was in St. Louis. And it's a real problem for St. Louis. Again, it goes back to what, Tim, you asked, feel. Like, you can, you can spit out statistics or spin statistics or move it from the city to the county and then change the statistics or whatever. But if people feel that way, I mean, it's how a lot of how politics is being done right now. You, it doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're going to... So, you know, speaking to, you know, my experiences in New York, you know... I remember um, in 2007 when I thought I was moving there, being like, my God, I, I, actually, I didn't even think about it being late at night. I, what I remember is like meeting up with friends like on a Monday too to get dinner at a restaurant at 1130 and just being like, this is the greatest fucking thing ever. And it wasn't a diner. It was a nice restaurant. Uh, not like, like, you know, white tablecloth deal, but it was it was a, it was a legitimate restaurant. It wasn't just like a bar. Um, and loving that and, and and obviously walking there. If you've been in Manhattan, you're not, you know, uh, driving, uh, you might be taking a cab, but you're not driving. Um, and then in 2013, when me and Anna Marie were up there and I did the Artie Lang show and hell, not only was I walking around late at night with Anna Marie one night, the next night I was walking around late at night with Artie, um, 
as we were tracking down uh, Anna Marie, my wife, and, and his, uh, I think, fiance at the time. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's shit. We didn't get off our show until one in the morning, New York time, or maybe two. And we're walking around, you know, lower Manhattan and don't, don't think anything of it. Now, Subway's a different deal. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time uh, on the subway in New York. I've got some, but I don't think it's ever been late at night. I remember taking the subway to a Mets game. This was back when they played at Shea Stadium. But we were just kind of bored, and so we left at the fifth inning. And so, you know, I think it was still light out when we were heading back to the city. But, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I would imagine people who uh, people like, such as yourself who've done St. Louis downtown at night and done Manhattan at night they they have different feelings. I can see that. I get it. Um, for me individually, for whatever reason, I don't feel that way. And I lived there. My my company was there. Hell, I forgot that part of it. Up until when did we move? Uh, like March of 2016, Inside STL moved. So, you know, there were plenty of nights where I'm walking in and, and God, if anything, I would say that where our, our offices were was, was more, you know, quote unquote, scary if you're looking for that than being in the heart of downtown. We were at 19th and Locust, which is kind of a on the out kind of an outpost of downtown. I guess it would be considered downtown, but it's, you know, getting kind of on the edge of being downtown west, I think. And I just didn't think anything of it. I I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it makes me really fucking ignorant or if but I mean, I would imagine I I have a lot of more hours logged in the city than the vast majority of people listening and, and whether you want to and then go okay well you grew up in st louis hills it's different i I'd, I'd go okay then like if you want to talk about a crime area i get that but i i wouldn't reject that um but what i would say is i lived downtown and my offices were downtown for a shit eight years and i lived downtown from 2009 through 2012 and i worked at kmov from 2000 through 2005 and i just i just didn't have that feeling but i'm not saying those who feel that way are wrong to feel that way at all i'm not saying that the question was about me and that that's and then I'm hopefully providing all of that, you know, information on my residential and commercial resume uh, drives that home. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, OK, well, I've got a guy got a lady. I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which of course was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way 
And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, Hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me and I go, oh, it's James Carlton here. Let me include him on the, on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like, I'm like, Oh yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, Oh God, I hope he does. Okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. All right, let me see. I haven't even gone to the TMA fan page yet, and I see as I look on my pillow, as I do the program from my bed, uh, that I have, um, as I have... Uh, uh, not gone to the TMA fan page, but I have posted a picture of me in my bed doing the podcast. And let me tell you something, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to listen real good, bro. It's a hot picture. I mean, it is a hot picture, smoldering. There's uh, a good one. This is a good one. On a scale of 1 to 10, how crazy were you in college? This is not the first time I think this kind of question has been asked. I like this. You can use your own rubric. Well, if, if that's a word, clearly I wasn't paying attention in college to define, but my initial thoughts, now I, I'm obligated because if it is a word, people are like, oh my God, I thought Tim was relatively intelligent and he didn't know what that word was. So now I got to look it up, typing with one hand, because again, I'm in my bed. Rubric, it is of course a word, a direction in a liturgical book as how a church service should be conducted, a statement of purpose or function. Wow. Oh, that's a low point. Bad day for St. Louis U High that I didn't know that one. Uh, to define, but my initial thoughts are in the sex, drugs, rock and roll vein. Bonus points if you can work in a good Gabe DeArmond story. All right, good question. Tip of the cap. Um, incredibly boring. Incredibly boring. Incredibly boring. In my first two years. Uh, part of it, I was pledged at Sigma Chi for uh, the first semester. And that makes it difficult. Um, second reason would be I was committed to getting into the journalism school. And I think all you had to have was like a three, two, five. And the fact that I was like hovering around that to the point that they had to interview me, I had to go through the interview process really speaks to not that I was getting after it cause I wasn't, but that I just wasn't taking it seriously. Like it was so obvious to me from the get go that my high school experience was tougher and I'm just like, I'm here for the journalism school. So this shit doesn't matter. I mean, which is again, just so ignorant, but that's what I was thinking. Um, but I'm like, I can, I can just like whatever coast through this and get into the journalism school because, you know, respectfully to the curriculum in 1994, Missouri in 1995, it wasn't, you know, the, the most challenging of, of stuff. Uh, and I could have done a hell of a lot better, but I was just coasting. And I'm, you know, like I, anytime I talk about it, I'm disappointed. So it wasn't because I was getting after it socially. Something that I think that I really wish, and I'm sure she wishes, uh, that was just a big miss um, was uh, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't have the greatest experience in college uh, The fraternity thing just is, and I'm sure now those of you listening are like, yeah, you don't seem like somebody who would really jive with but at the same time I mean what what a fraternity might be now for people and what it was then might be two different things but it's just the group think of it and you know and kind of lemming actually I'll use the word that's usually applied on our show lemming elements of it and I just didn't work for me and it wasn't my you know 
wasn't my thing. And so I was kind of in a spot where I was really comfortable at St. Louis U High and I was uncomfortable with, you know, what I was in and the pledge ship stuff. And I'm just like, this stuff, even when I was active and I could have hazed, I'm just like, what are we doing screaming at people? Like, who the fuck cares? I'm going to like be an asshole to some guy because I'm an active member and he's a pledge. Like, what in the fuck are we doing here? Uh, so I just, that was bad. And maybe if I would have been in a different fraternity, it would have been better. I don't know. I don't know. It just wasn't a good situation. Um, and so I just didn't really, I didn't, I didn't have the greatest of experiences the first couple of years in Columbia. Um, and then it's funny cause then a lot of the guys who I wound up signing as rush chair cause I wanted to change the culture, uh, wound up loving it, which was great. And I, and then like my wife who is seven years younger than me, uh, she's like, God, I mean, like to me, it was the greatest and it's such a shame that you didn't have that experience. And so then I wound up, um, with a girlfriend who was a high school senior when I'm a freshman at Missouri, which is just like the, just absolutely here's it, on the off chance. Anybody in high school is listening to this podcast and my God, how weird would that be? But if you are, don't do that. Just don't do that. Don't do that. There's so many reasons. And then when you're 42, you go, oh, thanks. I'm glad Tim, who's now 65, told me about that back in 2019. But yes, don't do that. Um, but it, it was like I, I wasn't happy in Columbia. And that was like kind of my tie to home. And it wasn't good for her. It was really bad for her. That's that's who's really the, the one who uh, lost out. Um, and I was, fuck, I was just, I was, I mean, I was just, I was just bad, 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 bad people. Um, and anyway, the, the, the point is, is I was the first couple of years is nothing like really like nothing. The first weekend where I'm just like, you're just like as a, you know, wild, you know, I was 17 when I started. 17 year old away from home for the first time that that's a different deal and I really didn't drink much in high school um and so the first weekend before pledge ship started up uh which will hit you like a ton of bricks because uh, you don't know it's coming and then all of a sudden it's like oh this is our reality now uh you're just you're down there you have you know I mean freshmen and you're drinking and you're in a fraternity house and Sigma Chi was a you know, popular fraternity. I don't know what it's like now. I have no idea what the, the hierarchy is, but certainly when I was there, I was always told Sigma Chi, ATO, Beta, SAE, Phi Delta, those were supposedly the best. Who knows? I don't know who the fuck that tracks this stuff. I guess it's probably by the caliber of women that are hanging out, if I had to guess, but who knows? Whatever. And so you're kind of like, you know, enjoying that. So from a sex standpoint, I do recall... Um, and I guess some people go, oh, you're bragging, but I mean, this was the question, so I'm answering the question. I mean, I had gone from a very, uh, um, very dry uh, adolescence to this situation where I was with one woman in the morning uh, and then a different woman at night. And I'm just thinking, how in the hell this happened? I've gone from like nothing to this in one weekend, how in the hell, and, and, you know, and just like, this is the greatest fucking thing ever. And it was, I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, I guess I don't know. Maybe people go, Oh my God, I can't believe you're saying this. I don't know. I mean, is deep down. Are you really like, wow, that sounds terrible. It was great. Uh, I was horrible as far as a performer goes. I assure you of that it was not, it was not impressive. I'm sure they wouldn't necessarily call it great for me. It was great. It also wasn't, you know, I mean, if we're, we could, we could knock this out on an egg timer if we wanted to track, track it as far as analytics go. But, uh, but um, then, you know, then I got maybe it was the pledge ship that kind of shut it down and school starting. I don't know. 
But then I kind of got into a comfort zone my junior year, my senior year, and then I stuck around Columbia for KOMU uh, my fifth year senior year and really I loved it then. But I always had a girlfriend. I mean, I have been in a relationship almost every month since 1995, for real. Uh, Whether it be married or long-term monogamous relationship, I've been in it. I'm I'm that guy. Um, Now, there have certainly been times. I mean, I guess I'm probably overstating it a bit. There's been, I don't know, six, seven-month stretches, so it's not like it's every day. But, you know, so... You know, and I wasn't like, you know, in a, in a relationship, but like, you know, trying to hook up with everybody. Um, you know, I, at the same time, I also don't want to make it sound like I was perfect because that certainly wasn't the case. But I was in a relationship. So I, yeah, and when I would go back, another thing I would say, don't do that. Don't do it. I don't know. I, I kind of feel pretty strongly about it. Enjoy the hell out of yourself. But at the same time, if you're enjoying the relationship, you know, who am I to say? At that point, you know, it's a different ball game than when you're like 15. But um, you know, at the same time, the probability is, is, is low that this is going to be the person you're going to be with, um, for the long haul. But I mean, it certainly, it happens. I don't know. I'm arguing with myself and I'm in my bed, so it's all fucked up. But yeah, there was just, I don't know. You know, I, I'll say this. Here's another thing. You asked about drugs. I was around a lot of cocaine and to me, it, it, I, I didn't even think anything of it, but I didn't do it. You know, now this might sound like, um, who what, was it? Clinton that said he didn't inhale. Yeah, it was Clinton. Didn't inhale. Um, I certainly smoked weed. Don't think anything of it. But um, but I was more certainly more alcohol. And my, a lot of my friends did coke. And I would see it. Now they were very careful to like. It's like they knew who quote unquote partied and who didn't. And I didn't. Uh, but at the same time, it got to a point that, you know, it's two in the morning and they're just whipping it out and doing key bumps or just fucking snorting and, you know, cutting it up and rolling up the dollar bills and away we go. And I remember there was one time, this is a true story, everything's a true story, that uh, I'm like, you know what, fuck it, I'll go ahead and do it. And I remember my friend and I thought, God, and I, and I still think it because it's been 20 years and and he had just done it and he's having a great time. It's not like we're like, you know sitting here like the five of us in a room I mean if any I think they had a a bunch of people at their house I think it might have been opening football weekend of 98 or 99 and uh and it's a fucking pony man and uh and I'm like you know what fuck it I'll I'll do it It, nobody was asking me to I'm just like I'm I'm just like I don't even know why I was because I was drunk and he goes hey he goes I don't want you to ever do this shit and he's like a peer he wasn't like a big brother type he's a peer he goes, you got, I don't know, I don't know what he said, something along the lines of, you got too much going for yourself, don't get into this shit. And here's a guy who just snorted one himself. And I'm just like, okay. I mean, it was like kind of a, you know, poignant, even though it was, you know, at two or three in the morning with a mirror with white all over it. Uh, and I'm sure I'm fucked up and he's fucked up, but that, that, that's what happened. So I was going to do it, but I didn't do it. Um, you know, I don't have any, uh, I don't think I have any. I, I don't have any uh, threesome stories or anything like that. I mean, I was just, I had a nice run um, with with KOMU. That was a good run. That was a good run. Um, and by that, I mean socially. And I guess I got my first taste of, um, which was, I guess, kind of weird. Um, it's A celebrity would be really overstating it, but... 
when I would anchor sportscasts, it was an absolute ripoff of, you know, Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, Craig Kilborn, that era of anchor. So it's me being a smartass. It just, God, I can't even imagine. I, I, I probably, if somebody had videos of those sportscasts, and I, I know that I have some VHS tapes of my resume tapes, I would cringe like crazy. I'd love to see the hair. Hair was wonderful. Hair was wonderful. I was probably GQ smooth, but but as far as like like I just had to think I was too cool for school. Oh, I can't even because every intro, every time I was on camera, it was a, it was a joke. But it was like a you know, I don't even know. I would say it's like John Oliver, but it, that would be giving me way too much credit. I mean, that's self deprecating, and I don't know. I guess I was self deprecating too. Here I am arguing with myself again. Ah, eh, maybe not everything was. Either way, here's what I know. I, I started, it, like, it became popular, but it became popular in a polarizing way. Some people loved it, some people hated it. Like, it was, I, I would get off the set, and I would expect people to, I didn't expect, I got used to it. They were calling, that's how people used to complain. Or they would call and they would say it was the greatest thing they ever saw, which people were just like, this is nuts, we're a news station, and now this guy has turned it into... Like, it's entertainment for him. Like, he likes that people are calling in to say how great he is, or he thinks it's funny that they call in and say how much they hate him. I mean, you can picture it's mid-Missouri, you know, and me, you know, I would do a Val Venus wrestler thing, very obscure. Hello, ladies. And because I would make sure that we always put cutaways of cheerleaders in there. I mean, shit, you couldn't do now. I mean, I guess you could do it now. You wouldn't have a job the next day. But, you know, it was just, but I mean, I'm 22, 21, actually, when I started. And just, you know, whatever. So anyway... You got a, a very a small amount of popularity with that, and I guess maybe that led to me doing okay. It was really more with people at the station uh, because they're the ones who are watching the stuff. I mean, the students aren't watching fucking news, so you know that was I guess uh, that was nice. But it was never it was not it was nothing like you know wild shit. It was really tepid, really tepid, very, very. My 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 totals are nothing impressive. Um, the, the you know not not that anybody would be like oh a, a guy who looks like you I mean they'd be like if anything I can't believe anybody has but uh, th- yeah I mean that's that's uh, that's the that's 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 that that's the the true story on uh, the Columbia sex and drugs experience uh, let's see all right I'm gonna I got I mean I've been going an hour and twenty minutes and I've got people texting and calling me and I have no idea what they want so I gotta uh, let's see boy I got a lot of questions here this sucks um. This is always great podcasting uh, when I'm just kind of, it's, I just want to, uh, this is a fair question. Curious why you're still hosting a podcast about sports betting when you seem so disinterested in sports betting. I'm not disinterested in, in sports betting. I really am into sports betting. I won't bet on sports. So the odds and the math, that fascinates me. But I'm I'm not going to make picks because the weatherman won it's a 65% clip, so I'm reading his picks. Uh, so, the, so you know, I get it. It's a good question. It's a, I mean, it might be intended to be like a shot question, but um, I think it's a good question. So, yeah, it's it probably sounds different uh, because um, I'm 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 pers- I mean, I did bet in week one and I lost. And I'm just like God, and I and I end up paying the guy for me what I think is a good amount of money. I'm just like, why did I do that shit? And I'm so upset about it. And like, I I don't sleep well because of it. And I'm like, why did I bring that into my life? I'm so I think 
more often than not decent about not inviting zero upside shit into my life. And I just did it. And I did it. Nobody told me to do it. I did it out of boredom. I did it because it was raining and I couldn't play golf. So I was looking to fill fucking time. Oh, just terrible. So that's where I'm coming from. But as far as like spreads and I'm fascinated by that. Daily fantasy, fascinated by that. Fascinated by it. Even if I'm not actively participating. So, you know, the weatherman pays attention to it. He's off to a bad start. But what would you rather have? Me just going, yeah, it looks like, you know, the Patriots are good and they're playing the Steelers and they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. So, fuck, I think they're going to win. They'll cover. Just like giving you square picks. You already got that with producer Joe. You got plenty of square picks there. Uh, Why not use a guy who's like really digging into it? But I'm telling you, man, hey, the weatherman's going to start feeling the heat now. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Oh, good. We got one where somebody tried to get into the realm of uh, question, does Anna Marie know it's ass-eating season? See, I I said, tell people, ask whatever. And so the fact that I even read that tells you that I'm comfortable with reading whatever. Now, as far as answering it, that's where I'm going to have to, uh, well, um, the question wasn't, hey, uh, what about you and Anna Marie? It was, does Anna Marie know it's ass-eating season? And my answer to that, I'll I'll actually thoroughly attempt to answer it is um, probably not because the TMA podcast has been having issues and Anna Marie, along with probably about a thousand of you, have emailed me or DM'd me asking about the podcast issues with TMA um, and Anna Marie was one of them. Like last Thursday or something, she goes, hey, is there something wrong with the podcast? And I'm like, oh, join the, get in line. Um, and it actually is an Apple thing. It's an Apple and a Libsyn thing, and Gangster Pete has been on it, and I think it's now fixed. But um, anyway, she she podcasts the show. She doesn't listen to it live, and she would have heard that discussion. So uh, because the podcast hasn't been up, she hasn't heard it, and therefore she hasn't heard the discussion, and therefore she does not know that it's ass-eating season. But I loved the question. Uh, let's see. All right, uh, final question. Um, I guess I should end with a bang, and this probably isn't a bang. Uh, do you think if the football Cardinals would have stayed that St. Louis would support them through the bad years after the Pittsburgh Super Bowl loss? I, my recollection of St. Louis and the football Cardinals, was they didn't really support them when they were here in the 80s. That's what I remember. I didn't think they had the greatest support here, but maybe that's because all of my recollection is when Bidwell was talking about moving the team. So maybe it was similar to what, you know, people in their teens or shit. I wasn't even in my teens. I wasn't even eight. Uh, recall about the Rams in their final few years you know they're like yeah I don't think the people really supported the Rams you know in 20 years they'll say that but you know those of us who are old enough to know why they weren't getting supported um but I my recollection was they were it's not like they were getting great crowds I, I, here's what I remember because you had the blackout rule and then it would be a big deal if the football Cardinals were on TV because when they had a home game because they were almost always blacked out because it wasn't sold out so that's what I remember so I don't I so the premise, I like the question, but the premise, um, I think, is somewhat revisionist history. But unless I'm wrong, that the football Cardinals had support. But again, I'm maybe they did in the 70s. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't speak to that. I was a, I wasn't born. Um, and 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 the reality is, to, you know, I mean, I, I'll tell you something. I think a, a deep dive would be crowds at Bush Stadium now. And I realize this is a total pivot, but. Uh, I mean, I think it came up last week on QFTA, but take a look at a crowd at Wrigley Field. Take a look at a crowd at Bush Stadium. 
and, and it's like it's like one of those things they do on TMZ. Tell me what the difference is. And, you know, there are eight differences. Here are the differences, you know. And then look, I mean, it's sparse. It's, you know, it's just a, it's a different situation. It's certainly not energetic. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And the tough thing is, sometimes when you say this stuff, some people in St. Louis get very defensive about it, especially if it's coming from an on St. Louis. And I guess maybe I have a card and I can say it, even though I'm sure this will piss some people. But look at it. It's just it's just dead. Now, it'll change, assuming the Cardinals are in the playoffs. It'll absolutely change. And if they get to the NLCS, then it's alive and it's the greatest. That's the best. I mean, that stuff's the best. That energy is awesome. That's what, what people loved going to the Blues games this past year. The, the the energy. That's what it's about. But right now, that's what, you go, why haven't you been to a Cardinal game since 2016? I don't know. It's dead. It's dead. And I just, I, I, there's nothing to it. Why did you go to Blues games? And why did I spend the money I spent? It's not like anybody was handing me tickets. Because of the energy. I wanted to be there for the experience. The, going to a Cardinal game right now, from my standpoint, the experience is just blah. But at hell, you can go, well, you haven't been there in three years. And I go, fuck, you're right. Maybe maybe it's maybe going to a Cardinal game right now is is the tits. Shit, I don't know. I'm not there. But uh, my but my, my point is, is team wins. People will come. Uh, Dan McLaughlin and I were doing those blues nights back in November and January. We couldn't give tickets away to it. We had to cancel them. <laughs> we had to stop doing them because we couldn't get tickets away. Then the team gets hot. People show up. I mean, And that's not unique to any. That's that's. That's with the exception of I don't even know what would be an exception. I don't know who the exception is. Somebody might say Cardinals, and it's like okay, they're they're announcing forty one thousand, but look at it. There's not forty one thousand people there. There's not even close to forty one thousand people there. Forty one thousand people bought tickets, but there's not forty one thousand people there. But that's all most baseball games. So I don't know. I, it's it, teams win, people show up, and, t- and around here I do think there's something to the Cardinals have been in the playoffs so much. And then when it stops, then it's then it creates this. This is a really really bad situation right now. And you're going, well, I mean, they did not have a losing season in any of these years that they didn't go to the playoffs since 2015. I mean, it's not like as dire as I felt like some were making it out to be. They're competitive, and even if they don't make the playoffs this year, it's like okay, at the very as I'm doing this show, I think they're guaranteed to finish above 500 again. So, you know. I think I think we're just I think we're just some will say the bar is high or you can say people are spoiled. Take your pick. I don't know. I think I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I, don't, I never blame people for not wanting to spend how the money how they want to spend their money. If they don't want to go to a game, I mean, I don't. I don't go. But if the Cardinals are in the playoffs, and assuming it's not on like a Tuesday night where I got to get up at five in the morning the next day and I know I'm not going to get to bed until one. I mean, I'll be all over it. I can't wait. I love that shit. Love that shit. But a regular season game doesn't doesn't get me fired up. I mean, maybe like a Saturday afternoon. I could see me going to like a Saturday afternoon game, especially with Missouri college football probably not having a whole lot of meaning this year, you know, over the next couple of weeks. And I can sit there and I can have some beers and just bullshit with friends, hang out with Anna Marie and, you know, and just whatever. That That's cool. Good weather. That's where I am now. But if you want to go and you go to 81 games and you love it and your family goes and you spend, God bless, to each their own. But as far as the question regarding the Cardinals, the football Cardinals, I just don't, I don't think that they were necessarily supported uh, here when they were here. But again, maybe they were in the 70s and once Bidwell was talking about moving, that's when it ended. I don't know. That's that's the honest answer is I don't know. But I, I also know that it wasn't like it was rapidly supported, you know, the final few years. But I also wouldn't blame people if they thought the team was moving. You know, who would blame anybody for that? We already saw that play out twice here. All right, that'll wrap it up.
questions from the audience from the bed. I liked it, and I got a shitload of questions, but I didn't get a chance to answer them. Um, so anyway, thank you for submitting the questions. Uh, always enjoy questions from the audience. Thank you to HomeLoanExpert.com. Thank you to Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at EvergreenSTL.com. Uh, thank you to James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Thank you to Design Air Heating and Cooling, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train. They're online at designairservice.com and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet online at landoff.com. Chevy Fine New Roads. Thank you to Gangster Pete Niggy for producing. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. <laughs>